Hello and welcome back to episode 21 of The Hard Yards, proudly sponsored by the Tour Tees, which is an Australian-owned and designed golf tee, providing less friction off the tee, which equates to more distance for you. So a big thank you to the Tour Tee for coming on board and more on a special for my listeners later in the show. This week, I'm super excited to welcome to the show someone who I've yelled and cheered for over the years as he plays for one of the teams I've supported through thick and thin. It hasn't been an easy road to the top for this guy, overcoming years of being one of the best players in Queensland in his code before finally getting his chance on the big stage. From that moment on, he hasn't looked back and he has just captained the Brisbane Lions to their most successful years since the glory years of Black, Brown, Voss, Ackermanis and Co. Gives me great pleasure to welcome to the Hard Yards, Dane Zorko. Welcome, Dane, and thanks for taking the time to come on the newly sponsored Hard Yards podcast. Thank you very much, mate. No, I appreciate it. Thanks for having me. Can't wait. So, mate, uh, football season, um, a different one this year. Um, how, does it, how does it find you at this time, of the, uh, this time of the year compared to previous years? Yeah, it's obviously had its uh, difficulties and its challenges this year, um, not only for us, but for, for the whole competition and for everyone, you know, worldwide, really. Everyone's yeah. had their, their challenges, but... Um, I guess for us as a playing group, we're fortunate enough to get together and go to Sydney on one of our, uh, you know, trips, which we weren't sure how long we we're going to go away for. We went really well down there. We lost to Geelong, but uh, went well. Uh, we beat the Giants the following week. And then before we knew it, we we're actually uh, back up in Brisbane. But, you know, credit to all the teams that were able to come up and hub. I think originally it was only going to be for six weeks. I think it's ended up being 16. Amazing. Um, yeah, humongous effort by the uh, AFL, the Queensland government, um, and to, I guess the public of Queensland for you know sticking and abiding by the rules and you know probably making our uh, COVID experience one of the better ones going around. So yeah, challenging year, different year. Um, now you know we're normally you know well and truly into our pre pre season, but. Um, you know, due to finishing the season so late, we've only just sort of touched back training and back into the gym and, you know, started our running programs. Um, and before we know it, we'll be back into it on January 6th. Um, hopefully full bells and whistles and the whole squad's ready to go. Mate, you're touching on COVID there and, and the Queensland government and the job they've done. Was there any... Did you guys experience any flack as far as, you know, because obviously in the media you saw various different scenarios unfold where people were or weren't allowed to travel back into Queensland to, or, or visit south of the border to see sick people or loved ones who are unwell, yet AFL was kind of still going on. Did you guys cop any of that personally? Like, were people, you know, uh, coming up to you in the street saying, how, guys, you, how come you guys get to do this, yet I can't even go visit my loved one? I know that's a bit of an off-field question, but... You know, did you experience yeah. much of that? Nah, not really, um, Maddie. To be honest, and um, sort of glad. Yeah, <laughs> sort of absolutely. glad that we didn't, because I yeah. wasn't sure how we'd be able to handle it. I mean, no, that's right. I was. I thought if the question did happen to me in the streets, I would like to have come back to the people and said, um, you know what, we're getting tested three, four times a week. Yeah. Um, you know, we're in this really strict bubble. Um, look, to be honest, we wouldn't even, no one would even been able to see us because we weren't even allowed to go out of our houses anyway. Yeah. <laughs> so, I mean, that would have been, you know, 
um, let's say saw us at the grocery store, which did happen. But um, I think overall, I think people were probably rather happy that we were able to get a season underway and there was some entertainment there yeah. and football, both codes. To do you know. something for us, yeah. Yeah, correct. I mean, I, I, I'm not sure how I would have gone if I would, was cooped up on the couch for another you know, eight to 10 weeks with nothing. Like there was just nothing on, nothing to do. Um, I'm a person who's extremely active and always wants to be on the move. So just that period alone, um, the six weeks that we were out of action, you know, that was even a struggle. I mean, you can only train so much. Yeah. <laughs> and uh, I felt like all our boys did the right thing and came back in fantastic shape. So although personally, you know, we didn't cop any flack, I, I certainly know there was, uh, you know, people asking why are they allowed to do it and how come they get special exemptions. And yes. I'd like to think that the product that we produced on TV and the rules and the, and the restrictions we were put under um, hopefully justified the entertainment they were able to show and people, you know, could enjoy some aspects of their life. And there was a period there we were playing, you know, I think there was 31 games in 20 odd days or something. So, um, you know, yeah, absolutely. Th- at, least there was, at least there was something on for people to watch and hopefully and their team's the challenge. Won. I think the challenge is not for the football lover or the sport lover, because I think we were all, I oh, thank goodness, there's mm. something to watch on the weekends and and uh, and even through the week when when you, as you say, when you're in your um, sort of fairly condensed schedule period there. Um, I think it was just the challenge of those who are maybe non-sport lovers and 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 finding you know, finding those rules, you know, difficult to understand. But, you know, I certainly think it was a great thing having all the sporting codes or as much sport on as possible. I think, you know, sport at the end of the day does does bring people together around the world. Absolutely. And and, um, and I do think it is a great thing. And, you know, it'll certainly, um, I mean, I think they've been strict in, in, in their codes around the world and various things and no more so than this week at the US Masters and the first Masters we're going to watch without a, Without crowds, I don't no even. Fans, I can't yeah. even imagine it without crowds because, having been there uh, to watch it, you you just understand where the crowds all sit. And to see it this week, I'm going to be fascinated to see it and see no crowds, no green chairs sitting there. Um, yeah, yeah, it'll be interesting to see. It'll be a, it'll be a very unique US Masters this year, I think. So I can't wait yeah. to watch it, no mate. Doubt. Um. Let's go back to a Gold Coast born, Gold, Gold Coast born. <laughs> yep. Gold Coast yep. born lad. Um, yep. So born in a obviously mad rugby league state. Yep. Why AFL for you? Well, I think, well, dad, once dad moved out from Yugoslavia, uh, he was 10. I think the family decided to move out. I think, you know, stuff was going down pretty bad over there and, mm. um, Grandma and granddad decided to get the kids out of there. So I think they moved down to Melbourne um, and set up down there. So, I mean, apart from soccer, the only sport dad knew and was on TV and could watch was AFL. So naturally when uh, dad and his brother moved up to Queensland, I think he was about 21, 22, started doing his bricklaying. Um, AFL was the, was the choice for them. They went and down and played at Southport. They went down and played at Surface. Um, you know, so growing up for us, that was the only thing on for us on TV was yeah, right. AFL. Oh, that's they didn't know much about this NRL um, <laughs> game. You know, they'd they'd do their bricklaying and then they probably go, go out partying and, and go to footy training. So um, you know, they didn't know too much more. 
um, about that. So when we came through as kids, naturally, it was going to be AFL. It was always on the TV. Uh, Friday nights was always on the TV. Um, Saturday afternoons, it was always on the TV. So, um, you know, it was going to be AFL for us. And it certainly had its challenges at school because I went to a primary school um, out the back of the Hins Dam on the Gold Coast called Gilston. Um, it produced some oh, yeah. more right plays. Myself. Near the Grand Golf Club. Yep, correct. Uh, myself, Dane Beams, um, Clay Beams. Um, so three of us. Wow. Came well, out, that's came, cool. Yeah, came out of that breeding farm <laughs> of AFL players. Wow. <laughs> uh, well, yeah, yeah. Well, they were the year below me, so um, it was only really us, and there was only two other kids in the school that played AFL um, of a you know a population of that school, which you know was actually quite large. That Mudrubar region. Um, mm. Springbrook, all those sort of um, rural Gold Coast um, towns, they all went to Gilston. So I reckon the population out there would have been maybe eight, 800 to 900 kids. And I reckon there might have been five or six of us that played AFL. So wow. there was no AFL at school. We took our AFL footies, but by the end of it, it was turned into a soccer ball or um, it was just <laughs> playing rugby league. But um, then naturally, um, you know, fortunate enough, Dane and Clay didn't play it. Um, Surface Paradise where I played my junior football but two of the other kids that went to school um, yeah. with me played um, at Surface so you know I had some guys that were a little bit older than me as well that played it so it was sort of cool kicking the footy with them as they were year six and seven so I was year four or five <laughs> um, so you know it was it was different but then once I got to high school I went to Benoist State High School which was just a stone's throw away from um, Surface Paradise football ground and there was about half a dozen of us that um, played our, our football there, so that was that was all right. And I reckon by the time I was in year ten, uh, we had a mad AFL coach come in. Um, was sports that, coach. Were you at that stage thinking AFL career? This is what I nah. want to do, or no? Nah? Oh, okay. Oh, definitely what I wanted to do. Whether I, I think, um, I think I had a pretty good reality. I had a good grip on reality knowing that not many people could get drafted out of the Gold Coast. And although you win plenty of awards growing up and, you know, um, you know, my junior football club at surface, we had, our team was myself, Brent Renouf, Ricky Pettard, um, Jesse White. So two, two Ruckman that have both played in grand finals. Brent's won one and Ricky Pettard had a 10 plus year career at Melbourne and Richmond. So, um, you know, that, that was our under-14s right through under-16s team. So we're pretty well stocked up. We didn't win too many flags. I reckon we only won two flags. But, yeah, um, yeah. so, I mean, high school was pretty much the same. Um, there was about a dozen of us that played, you know, at, at Surface Paradise at the time. We didn't really play footy that much at lunch times or anything like that. It was, you know, more handball and just whatever was cool <laughs> at the time. Yeah. Um, but... Yeah, I think, I think once I got out of, once I got to year 11 and 12 when AFL and our AFL coach came in at the school who, I think he was just a math teacher, but just loved AFL so much. Yeah, right. And he, he put us into a um, Brisbane Lions Cup, I think it was called. And we ended, we ended up winning that. Um, so then, you know, AFL was all of a sudden, you know, on the map at Benoist State High School. We, yeah. Um, you know, you had Palm Beach and Helensville that were schools that were AFL. All the AFL players who wanted to get drafted would go there um, yeah, right. and try and enhance themselves and give themselves the best opportunity. But just stayed at Benoist, kept plugging away. Um, 
you know, made, I think there's one rep side I didn't make when I was probably under 14s and I was really upset about it. <laughs> and I probably still hold a grudge against that guy to, the, to, this, to this day, but um, yeah. Let it go, hopefully, mate. Hopefully, hopefully it made me a better player. Yeah. Um, you know, I think, it, I think that was definitely because I was too small, um, which, yeah, sort of hurt a little bit because, I mean, talent-wise, I thought I was, you know, when I ride, I had a pretty good carnival or whatever it was, but yeah, yeah, not to be. So that was sort of, um, I reckon that's where a little bit of reality came in as well, that, you know, maybe I wasn't that good and, you know, AFL's not really a realistic, realistic or a viable career. opportunity for me. But mm. as I kept progressing through juniors, um, 16s and whatnot. Uh, yep, kept making yep teams and teams, and I was actually the uh, year. I think it was 17. Yeah, 17. Year, yeah, so year 12, 17. Um, uh, I actually injured my knee in. It was called. I can't remember the game. It was like under Queensland's under 18s versus. Um, Victorians, sort of like their second, like not their yeah, ones right. team, but their second yeah. team. And they came up and sort of played a state game and I actually injured my knee. I, I tore my meniscus and I sort of played on the rest of the year with it, uh, not thinking too much of it, but it just kept getting sore and sore and sore. So I actually went in and had surgery and I developed a cyst on the outside of my right knee because I n- never really got it looked at, just yeah, thought right. it'd be fine. Um, so then I had to go in and get that sort of cleaned up and at the time, the surgeon, I remember the surgeon, I will never forget this conversation. The surgeon said to me, I'd probably look at doing something else, mate. Your knees aren't going to last. <laughs> You're going to run out of cartilage. I wouldn't bother. It was very similar to those. And I was like, wow. wow. Jeez, okay. Um, Glad you didn't, mate. So, Glad you didn't yeah. listen to that. <laughs> yeah, I know. So funnily enough, I had that surgery in about um, March of 2006, which was my year 12 year. Yeah. I don't reckon I, I don't reckon I went to school for four months. <laughs> I don't know why. I don't know why. I got my learners. I've got my license. Um, I reckon total I missed about seventy three days of year twelve. So I'm not sure how I ended up passing. Well done. Uh, I was lucky my brother was school captain. I reckon about five years prior, and I was still holding on to his his good his good uh, <laughs> his good, good luck. And, yeah, yeah. I think the teacher thought. He'll turn one day, this bloke, I'm telling you. Um, <laughs> so, yeah, that, that year, that, um, the year I missed the whole year of not playing football at all. So, 17-year-old. So, I missed out on all the state stuff, um, which, you know, wasn't a big deal back then. I think it was probably made out to be a bit more of a deal now if you're not in an academy or a state side yeah. or, you know, playing some good football on your underage level. It wasn't too big of a deal. I ended up getting back, I think it was... Um, August probably last game for our under 18s and um, it was actually gave me a lot of confidence because I hadn't done anything I just I reckon I trained once and I pretty much had five months off hadn't done anything trained once and played and dad was the coach he goes yep you'll be right so played me on the fourth line I think I could get three goals six or something so that gave me the confidence and then from that you know I, was, I headed into what was sort of considered your draft year which was um, an 18 year old yeah. you know you're out of school training three times a week this is 2007 uh, yep this is 2007 yeah. so i um yeah i because i'd missed the whole previous year i was like well i'm gonna be fresh as a daisy and i remember 
I was training really well, you know, obviously got picked in our Gold Coast Stingray side, which, um, yeah, was good. I'm, I think I captained that, might have captained that. Um, you know, things were starting to align for me. It was going really good. And I guess from there, when I started getting some continuity in my body, you know, my running and my training was really good, started to play some games, going all right. I probably thought that was a realistic chance. Um, or probably when I thought, well, hang on, you know, Ricky Petter got drafted the year before. Jesse White got drafted the year before. Brent Renouf got drafted the year before. Uh, okay, maybe Queenslanders can get drafted. And that's sort of yeah. when it kicked into gear for me of, all right, if I'm good enough, I can do it. So, obviously, naturally, you go to the gym, you bulk up more, you do, um, uh, yeah, whatever you sort of can. And at that time, I hadn't had a senior club because Surface Paradise wasn't in the top division in the NEFL or Quaffle back then. Uh, wasn't NEFL yet. Um, I had a decision to make whether I wanted to go and play Broadbeach, who um, I'd sort of developed heaps of great friendships with or go to the team that I absolutely despise as a junior Southport, <laughs> but probably enhanced my chances of getting drafted. So, um, you know, I ended up going to... Broadbeach. I chose Broadbeach on the fact that, you know, am I actually going to get drafted? I don't know. I'd rather go play with my mates and hopefully Enjoy we can have, have a bit of a success. So, yeah. You know, in the end, did that hinder me from getting drafted earlier as well? Probably. I'm not sure. You have to ask someone who knows. Who would knows? But Broadbeach definitely had a reputation back then as being a bit of a party club, um, which I didn't really see too much of it. Maybe I was in the party. I don't know. But um, <laughs> it certainly wasn't that sort of club when I got there. It was, um, you know, it's just heaps of good mates loving playing football together and, um, yeah, from so there. When you, so when you go to Broadbeach and you and you don't get drafted in that 2007 draft, and then 2008 yep. comes along once again, you have a good year, and you know you you win a best and fairest at the club, and you you don't get drafted again, and then 2009 comes along, and you know once again you win a best and fairest, and and you get picked up. <laughs> yeah, and you get picked up. By GC Gold Coast, sort of, and yeah. train with them, sort of in the, you know, uh, for a few weeks before they decide to sort of let you go again, and yeah. um, and then you don't get drafted again. Two thousand and ten, yeah, still no interest. You yeah. now you're racking up awards left, right, and centre. How does yeah. one young guy, like at that point, are you thinking it's not going to happen, or how do you go about going? All right, well. What do I need to change to make it happen? I know, yeah. you know, reading about this this afternoon, you had a coach, Matt Angus. Yep. Um, who, who said you had all the skills in the world to play AFL footy, but you weren't professional, professional enough to be an AFL yep. player. Did he have yep. that discussion with you? Yeah. Yeah. So, two, so I'll, I'll tell you back in 2007. So 2007, um, Yep, really good Gold Coast Carnival. Picked up the Queensland, captain of Queensland, play the Carnival, player of the Carnival, Carnival Queensland. Player of the, State Player of the Year or whatever it was. Yeah, so automatically you're probably thinking, gee whiz, I Big certainly chance. in my head was thinking captain, player of the tournament. We won, I don't even know if we won a game, but I mean, Jesus, I mean, I'd be stiff if I didn't go as a rookie somewhere. That's what, yes. naturally, yes. as an 18-year-old, I'd be very surprised if there wasn't many... Other kids thinking the exact same thing, yeah, for especially sure. after the year that you know Ricky and Jesse and um, Brent Renouf had all gone the year before. So I'm sitting back thinking, oh, you beauty, 
So I go back to Broadbeach. I think I played another six or seven games there. Um, yeah, it didn't go too bad. Um, I would have been actually less than that. It might have only been three or four. So I went to the draft combine. So I didn't actually get enough um, votes from AFL clubs to give you an eligibility to go straight into the draft. Uh, a couple of other players in our team did. Uh, Sam Reed, who you know went to the Bulldogs, yeah. played at GWS, who's still there now. Brendan Whitecross, who went to Hawthorne. And um, the other guy was named James Mulligan, who was actually played junior football with, who was six foot ten and just a man mountain, like just unbelievable, like just some sort of specimen. Um, <laughs> but had never played the game. Had never played yeah. the game. Um, but he was like a project player, so naturally, you know, he gets invited down to see what he can do. And so I went to the draft combine, tested really well. I think I got 14-2 in the beep test, which was second. Um, you know, put up some other really good results. So I even walked away from there. A couple of clubs, you know, sent some feelers out. Sat down with, um, I think, uh, Hawthorne. Sat down with Adrian Dodoro at Essendon. Uh, nothing from Brisbane. Uh, I think there might have been a little bit of interest from North Melbourne as well. So I thought, wow, worst case scenario, I'm, I'm probably going to go to one of the, those clubs. You're going to Melbourne. Correct. Yeah, that's right. And then, yeah. so that summer, 2007, there was four of us from Brisbane. Uh, Rowan Barrow was one of them who played at Mount Cravat and got picked up from Melbourne. Um, we got invited down to train at Essendon. Yeah, right. So I went down to Essendon, trained there for a week, loved it, awesome experience. Walked away from there going, yep, look, thought I held my own, you know, did a couple of things. I think I tackled Joe Watson at one point. I was like, how good is this? So, you know, I'm just, you know, trying to... Uh, you know, soaking as much as I possibly could. Anyway, are you, kind of a, are you kind of like a deer in the headlights in that scenario? Like just, here we are. I think initially when I got into the club, I, I was definitely like that. I think yeah. once we started training, it was just... You're just doing just, your thing. Yeah, just, you know how to do it. So just go out yeah. and implement it. And, um, you know, actually from memory, I thought I trained yeah pretty well. And I had, I had a friend down there. I don't know, I can't remember who it was. I can't remember, it might have been an older player that I'd sort of crossed paths with along the line. Ah, uh, that's it. Um, Courtney Dempsey, who was from um, up in Brisbane. He was down there suddenly. So I sort of had a little bit of a connection there with him. So I sort of just hung around him a little bit. Sure. Um, he had a wonderful kick. So I just sort of floated in with him. But from that, you know, draft time came, didn't get drafted. I was probably more thinking I'd go in the rookie draft anyway. So I didn't really pay too much attention to that. Got to the rookie draft, nothing. So I was like, oh, wow. Okay. Are you devastated um, then? Yeah, yeah. Yeah, definitely. Definitely. I think it hurt probably even more that um, Sam Reeve, Brendan Whitecross and James Mulligan all got drafted as well. Mm. Um, I think that was just sort of was like, oh, geez, I, I thought I was probably going better than them, at, you know, especially during yeah. the carnival. Um, you know, what am I missing sort of thing? I remember so, having an under-15... Queensland Cricket Carnival where the same thing happened. I thought I had a great carnival. Didn't yeah. get picked in the Queensland side. Whereas a couple of my club teammates did and I'd had better carnivals, you know. And yeah. The runs were on the board and uh, I couldn't understand it. So I just, unlike you, <laughs> I spat the dummy and I went, right, I'm going to play golf <laughs> where it's an individual sport and yeah. I'm good enough, I'll I'll make teams, you know, because yeah. it's you doing it, you know, and you're yeah. not relying yeah. on the politics or the rest of it. Is there much of that around as well in the in this process or are they, you know, reasonably good at just picking players on merit? Uh, yeah. 
it might not be, <laughs> it might not be it might not be so politi- political now but i certainly certainly felt like it back yeah, in um sure. in my day i don't know whether that's just me yeah. soaking it up a little bit but it certainly felt that way um because i i actually thought there was probably two or three other guys that were on my level that potentially could have got drafted as well that never got the opportunity yeah wow um so yeah that was yeah i certainly do think yeah, there's probably a little bit of politics and i think yeah. they're sort of gone out of it now a little bit especially because there's so many academies around now and i mean if you're a half decent player or you you're every chance of getting onto one of them and then you make your own luck from there i would think so um you know 2008 that probably that probably sort of weeds out a bit too doesn't it you know when you've got these academies well i would think you know probably a bit more than i do about it but you know, once you get players into academies, you can start to see who the, you know, who the guys that just want to party and, and you know, who yeah. might be trouble for a club down the track. Yeah, they might be talented, but yeah. we start to see traits and, and understand it. And, you know, I guess it's the same in the golfing circles, you know, in, in amateur golf, we start to look at, you know, QAS squads and things and bring kids in. But then we start to see, yeah, see who's who once you get them all together. Yeah, absolutely. I think that's probably the beauty about it is you can actually educate those kids as well. You know, you you see them a couple of times a week. You can actually help them and educate them. Whereas back in our days, it was you know you've just probably taken a risk. Yeah. Um, so you know, all yeah, the information's sure. there in front of everyone these days. Um, you know, I think that's the beauty about having these sort of academies. But um, you know, two thousand eight went to played at Broadbeach, won my first best in Ferris okay year i didn't think i was exceptional but you know went okay um 2009 i think i got into the state side for queensland had a pretty good year i thought that was probably one of my better years to kick three or four goals against tasmania not too bad um and then coach got sacked at broad beach i'm um yeah, right. yeah i'm pretty sure yeah or got moved on or whatever it may have been we weren't winning and sean hart came in Oh wow! Um, yeah, and Hardy came in, and legend. Uh, it was it was absolutely amazing. Like I just thought he was the most incredible coach. He yeah. didn't try and get too complicated. He would simply, at the start of every week, come up and say, "Righto, boys, we're just focusing. This is all we're focusing on in the game, and it might just be you just pressuring for the whole game. So we just practice pressuring and training the whole week. Once we come out into the game, Bang. just full on pressure. Yep, and that's yeah. what we did." Next week, it would be smothering. Right, I, I want to see how many smothers we can lay. And, like, it was just the littlest, simplest things, but it was amazing how much better players were getting. Yeah. Um, Without remember you really thinking about it, he's applying every aspect of the game week by week. And yeah. And building you into better footballers across, the, yeah, that, across every that's, facet. That's exactly right. And uh, it came... One thing... <laughs> that's what one thing I always tried to do before I touch on this game, every time we played Brisbane, I always tried to play. I did everything to the T. Like, I made sure I was in the best possible condition, trained the house down the week that week, yeah. just wanted to be at my absolute best. And I can't remember too many games where I wasn't that bad against them. Like, I felt like I, they were always my best games. Yeah. And Hardy came up to me, and we are playing the Brisbane Lions. Um and he came up to me and he goes, oh, look, there's a couple of recruiters here watching today. So this would be 2010. Um, you know, they want to see how you go on the forward line. I was like, oh, 
Oh, mate, I'm a midfielder. <laughs> what are you doing to me? He goes, no, 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 trust me. Go forward. I was like, righto. So gone forward, kicked five goals in the first eight minutes or something. Wow. Just torn. If Daniel Zufa listens to this, he'll be disappointed. But towards Daniel Zufa, a new one. Um, and he ended up kicking six for the game. But my first quarter, like, it just everything was going in. Like, I was just doing everything. And I was like, oh. so I've walked out of that game in 2010 thinking, well, I mean, I've got Sean Hart as my coach. He played at the Brisbane Lions, one yeah. of the most successful players to play. He's in the year to these recruiters. It's just got to happen for me. Like, it just has to happen for me. Um, won the best and fairest. Oh, but plenty I reckon like had a really good year come to that year and you get eligible for three years in the draft um, and that was the end of my last year so that was didn't yeah, get picked right. up nothing so so you're you thinking know. then gosh it's over almost yeah I, yeah yeah I reckon yeah I reckon <laughs> that was that was a time where I thought oh <laughs> good try mate but uh, you know you're back to laying bricks um, <laughs> so I during that summer, I actually um, took up a cadetship doing real estate with Ray White Rubina, um, oh, wow. who who their um, their uh, owner, you know, was mad at Broadbeach, mad footballer, and uh, just you know, I've been working out in the sun. I was cooked. I wanted to you know try footy a little bit, you know, without being getting up at five o'clock, yeah, sure. going to work, getting home at two, going to the gym, train, and then getting home at eight o'clock, eating dinner. I wanted some, you know, some pretty sustainable hours um, and obviously knew that uh, he would be accommodating when it came to games and stuff like that on weekends. Um, so, yeah, took up a cadetship, which was, you know, interesting and something different and tried that for a little bit. And during that time, Hart, uh, Sean Hart got a job at the Gold Coast or Port Adelaide, one of the mm-hmm. two. So he was gone. Um, and Matty Angus from uh, used to coach over Freeman, I think he, he coached South Fremantle, came over, took a job at the club. I sat down with him. Uh, he got one of our close family friends um, on board, Gary Fox, who was a trainer at the Brisbane Lions in 19, somewhere in the 1990s. So, you know, sat down with those two. And, yeah, as you said earlier, they just sort of put it to me. They, they said, all right, look, I reckon you've got one more chance at it. During that period, James Podziadley came in, did really well. Uh, Mickey Barlow came in. So these mature age recruits were starting to come in and maybe, you know, this was another opportunity for me. So, you know, Gary just said to me, you know, what's happening? Why, why aren't you getting drafted? What do we need to improve? And I said, well, I've always been told I'm too short. I'm too slow. You know, a little bit fat. He's like, right. <laughs> he said, right. Well, let's just, let's just try and work on everything that we possibly can. Short, let's give fat it one fella, more mate. <laughs> yeah. And I always, always thought I was pretty quick. So, you know, <laughs> Maybe I wasn't, had, had no tank, you know, couldn't run. So I, um, yeah, I sat down with Gary. We organised a plan and, you know, mornings, afternoons, Saturday mornings, Sunday mornings, I was around at Gary's training and he had me just absolutely flogged, working working my absolute backside <laughs> off. So much so whenever I saw, he'd, he'd go, come on over. He'd massage me, like, just yeah, wow. absolutely looked after me like, yeah. <laughs> Like giving I was his you, personal Giving you every client. chance. He's, he's there on your side, giving you every chance to make it in this one final chance. Absolutely every single chance. And, um, you know, thinking back on, yeah, I mean, it would be like nine o'clock at night and I'd be like, my back's stuffed and he'd be like, come around. So I'd get in my car, drive to his, 
you know, he'd put heat packs on it, he'd rub it like it was, wow. you know, and he was a, um, a uni lecturer as well. So he had some incredibly late hours. Then he'd come to footy, you know, just had so much energy and was just the most unbelievable human. Um, you know, so you I'm, owe him a bit. I owe him so much and I've yeah. thanked him, you know, in my first few years, I really thanked him a lot. And, yeah, it's good. Um, it's awesome. You know, look, looking back on it now, I, I probably need to thank him again because, uh, yeah, he certainly got me into a position where in 2011, uh, you know, I just felt untouchable. I, I just felt like I was at the absolute peak of my game. And Did you notice um, after that, did you notice a difference? Did you notice that you were able to run longer, run, you were quicker, you were zippier, you know, you were able to carry yourself on the field and go for longer periods. Did you notice yeah. that? Did you feel the change? Yeah. Oh, definitely. Definitely. I, I always used to hate coming out after halftime because I would just feel absolutely buggered. And I don't know, I just didn't feel that this, that year. I just felt yeah. great. I'd come out and I don't know, and I'd pl- players would tag me and it, I, I felt like I could outrun them and outwork them and, um yeah it was you know probably a good it was a great year i mean i think i ended up winning the sid guilford i was yeah we i ended up getting picked up in the queensland opens team again and we went to wa and uh i just knew i could do it and i think i had pick four and had 34 or something and fortunately enough for me um we had mitch golby and noel mckeever in our squad who were both on the list of the brisbane lions as rookies and because they hadn't played yet for the Brisbane Lions, they were eligible to play for the Queensland team. And uh, the week before, the week before the state game, Mitch Golby got called up to play, so he had to pull out. But Noel McKeever still travelled with us and played. And they sent the recruiters over to watch him because they were looking at debuting yeah, him the right. next week. And and I've ended up, um, yeah, turning one on. And I think we we got within, you know, we hadn't gone close to beating a WA team in. A bazillion years, especially yeah. over in WA. I think the average margin was somewhere around 70, 70 to 100 points. And at one point in the last quarter, I think we got it back within, you know, two or three and they keep the goal late to win it. Um, so it was a really successful carnival for Queensland. And uh, I was able to have a, yeah, a stellar game and probably a, a career-defining game for me personally. Amazing. Um, which, you know, a week later I had, you know... Uh, phone calls from the Brisbane Lions and that through my manager at the time. Um, and he said, look, Brisbane's, Brisbane's really interested in taking you. They're going to take you. Um, just have to wait to the trade period sort of thing. So this was around, you know, uh, early August. So there wasn't really that long to go on the season. I think Brisbane were out anyway. So, um, yeah, from there, yeah, it really you get, just... You got picked up for the Gold Coast that then traded you on. Is that right? Yeah, so the easiest way for the trade to go through was for the Gold Coast Suns to put me on their list. Yeah. So from there, um, the Gold Coast could on-trade me to Brisbane and pick 28 or something. Right. In, in return, Brisbane would send Mitch Clark down to Melbourne and then Melbourne would send Matty Warnock up to Gold Coast. Yeah, right. Um, so... Yeah, I think it was me and so they got me and Sam Doherty was it was the pick. So they, they actually did all right, Brisbane. That was uh, hopefully yeah. one of their better they were one of their better trades. But you, um, you, I often I often sit around in this trade period watching you know what happens day after day because you know me like you 
you know, love sport, love it all, love an active human being, probably overactive than what I should be at my age, but, um, but yeah, as my head knock earlier in the year would suggest, but, um, love it all. But I often look at the trade period and think, gosh, what must be going on behind closed doors? Because it's this trade, it's this trade. We're going to give you this pick with this pick. And then there's another two clubs yeah. involved in the same trade. And it's just like, man, it's mind boggling. Yeah, I reckon they make it harder than what it needs to be, mate, <laughs> to be honest. Yeah. Or clubs clearly just don't want to give up anything for free. And, no, you know, for sure. Um, no. and it's, a big, it's a big dollar business, isn't it? You know, at the end of the day, mate. Massive. Massive. Absolutely huge. So, um, you, you, everyone always goes, oh, don't worry, the last three hours of trade period, that's when it all happens. But it probably only happens then because that's when all the deals and you know, teams go backwards and forwards and then they ring another team and say, hey, look, can we steal this pick off you? We'll give you this pick to help us with this trade. And the amount of work that actually goes into getting a player to your club is absolutely astronomical. And there's got to be an easy way to do it. But if there isn't, uh, credit to the guys that are doing it because, um, yeah, it's a hell of a work. But it's so massive, isn't it? Because when you think about it, it's it's... It can be the difference. It can be the difference mm. in your team, your club, building and creating the right players in the right part of the park to then, you know, set up a almost even a legacy for the club for a, a period going forwards. And I think, you know, looking at, you know, your career and, you know, you finally got in 2012 and, you know, you've, you've been an amazing attribute or sort of acquisition, I should say, for the Lions and, and, and probably you would think hopefully still, you know, lots to give, but there's almost a legacy that, you know, now you should be starting to think about what can I leave? Where can I leave? Do you, do you think about that? Where can I leave the Lions when I'm finished? Dane Zorko. Yeah. Where, where do I want to leave this club? What position do I want to leave this club in? Yeah. Well, it's a good, oh, that's a, a perfect question because, you know, once I did get eventually onto the list and drafted and, you know, you start playing games and, you know, the team's going bad, but really in the back of your mind, any kid that is playing just wants to keep playing in the, in the seniors team. Like, yep. <laughs> as and bad I as remember, it might. I remember, I, you, you wouldn't know this, but I played, I had a couple of years out of golf and I played for Sherwood Magpies in the QAFL, <laughs> right? Yeah. You're laughing, and that's fair enough. I'd laugh too. But anyway, I went and played two seasons. And the second <laughs> season, our first game of our year was against the Brisbane Lions in the you know their reserve side in the QAFL. Yeah. And it was a because we're the Magpies, it was a curtain raiser to the Lions Collingwood grand final replay from 2002. So it was oh. 2003 at the Gabba as the curtain raiser, right? And all I wanted to do was be in that game. I didn't care if I played another first game the entire season. I just wanted to play at the Gabba, right? <laughs> and so that whole preseason, mate, I've never worked harder physically in my life to get myself into the shape that I needed to be in to make that, make that team. And I made it and I ended up copping a straight boot from Aaron Shattuck. You'd probably remember yeah, that name. Yeah, I know. So I got a straight boot from him and he ripped my eyebrow almost right off my head and, um, oh. and I ended up in hospital getting stitches and only got back to the Gabba for the last quarter of the Lions Collingwood grand final replay. But, oh. and we got towed up, but it's, mate, it's something I'll, 
I can say I've played at the Gabba. So it was, yeah. it was unreal. Yeah. But, but yeah, you exactly. just want to be in the first, don't you? You know, you do, you do. And, um, you know, it's, it's where it's very hard to um, rip apart um, the mental side of the game because as a, as a teenager or a young 20-year-old, you just want to play. You want to play in the ones. You don't care about the result. You, want to, you individually just want to keep playing well to make sure that you're in the ones team. Win, lose or draw, you just want to be in that team. So, you know, for me, oh, what, 12, 13, 14, 15, 16, <laughs> you know, I, there was so much about me that was, uh, looking back on it, I was such a selfish player. And it might not showed out on the ground. It might not have showed that, but I wasn't there to help other people. You know, I'd get tagged and I'd be sooking and be like, oh, why is anyone protecting me? But <laughs> Woe is me. It, yeah, yeah, me, 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 me. And, <laughs> you know, I've only really, you know, once Fake sort of got to the club and, um, you know, you get taught different things in different ways and you once again, you touch on, you know, what legacy do you want to leave? Um, you start realising how much you need to actually give of yourself to the team for the team to actually win. And it's difficult. It was difficult in those first few, um, you know, those first few years with FaZe. And although we started coming, you know, better and even touching back on, on Leper, Leper's first few, we we're playing a lot of young kids. So naturally you've got, you know, 10, yeah. 15 players that have played under 10 games who just want to play well for themselves. So yeah. You're not necessarily going to share the ball. You're not going to block for your teammate because you're not thinking about that. You're thinking about how yeah. can I just get the ball? And and how can I execute so I keep my spot in the team? Correct. So <laughs> I'll look back on that and, yep, I want to, you know, some individual accolades and, you know, all Australian and all that. Yep, awesome individual stuff. But, you know, it means, it actually means jack all because... Yeah. And nothing's hurt me more than watching Richmond, you know, celebrate on the dice this year. Yeah. And I actually went into Fags the Monday after the grand final. I said, I never really pay attention to, you know, people carrying on the dice. And, you know, they've got their necklace and their, their medallions and that. And, like, it sort of hurt me, but it's like, oh, yeah, we weren't good enough. It's completely flipped. Like, that has to be me. Like, I'm so driven now to, you know, get to that spot because it's just, it's the pinnacle of our game. And, the quicker that you can, um, I guess, and that's where I want to leave my legacy, the quicker that I can instill in the younger players that it's really important to buy into the team. And, you know, if the team's winning, you stay in the team. Like, yeah. it's very difficult to change a team that's actually winning. So how I can now help our younger players, you know, not necessarily worry about, you know, touches and goals and, you know, I didn't have a good game. Like, okay, but if you've actually helped the team win, um, that's sort of the legacy that I want to start leaving. And, um, yeah, I mean, you know, getting to a grand final would be absolutely, you know, cake, taking me cake and eating it as well. But, um, you know, I've been super proud of what we've been able to do as a football club, not only in the last two years and obviously reaching finals, but the two years before that and sort of educating our players. And obviously with Hodgie coming in, helping with that process and all of us as leaders in our leadership group, you know, really buying in and, and driving the club's culture and, um, you know, the standards that, you know, Fags and Nobes and us as leaders implemented and as a playing group in whole sort of implemented. So, yeah, that's sort of the legacy that I want to leave now. 
It's a great answer. You spoke earlier before we started chatting tonight, we were just having a little chat and you spoke about Justin Leppich, who, you know, is a premiership player at the Lions and you spoke about Craig Lambert as well. And I mentioned to you that it felt like watching on from the outside and knowing obviously a few of the boys um, that it seems like there's a great family culture at the Lions and those guys had something to do with it, you were telling me before. And yeah, absolutely. It just looks yeah. like if you're happy off the field, that maybe yeah. that's transpiring into how you perform as well. Yeah, absolutely. I, you know, although it wasn't um, probably the greatest period in the football club's history, I, I still do believe that um, Craig and Melissa Lambert um, and Lepper certainly helped or certainly brought to players' attentions just how much we need to care for, you know, our players that get getting drafted in. Obviously, before Leopard got to the club, we had five players leave and um, everyone thought, oh, no, you know, Brisbane's crumbling. What's actually happening up there? And, you know, those guys came in and really bought into, you know, people's families, asking how they're going um, and just sort of shifted, you know, the way we probably think about new players coming into our club. And I was talking to you earlier about, you know, as a Queensland guy, I didn't really think about that. My family's just down the road. If I needed sure. them, I could go down there. You know, no dramas where, you know, this is where the selfish players and selfish mindset comes in again, where you're not really thinking about what your other players are doing outside of, you know, footy. You're just thinking about, oh, how can I get better? How can I do this? How can I do that? Not, uh, you know, you know, can I get them around for dinner? Should I get them around for dinner? Should I message them and see if they're all right? Um, and that's and and I think as players, um, certainly players that were still around with Leper and um, when the Lamberts came, uh, right through to you know now those guys that are still here certainly helped you know drive that we want to be really strong family club and it's difficult for players to come up and leave their families especially from WA we have we draft a lot of players from WA I mean they're six hours in a plane away from their family. Yeah. Um, so it's really important that we treat them and, and look after them as best as we can, um, you know, and make them feel as warm as comfortable. Because if we can make them feel like that, you know, their football potential just rises, you know. The homesickness gets put to the side and it's like, wow, these guys really care about me. Um, they really care about my family. How can, how can I help these guys now and how can I help them repay that favour? So, um, you know... You know, Craig and, and Leper certainly had a huge part to play in, you know, sort of getting us, getting that ball rolling. And then obviously when Fags and Nobes and Andrew Crow came into our club, that just got put on absolute, you know, a pedestal, a pedestal even more. And, you know, those guys that we were sort of nurturing when they were first coming into the club, well, now they're taking, you know, these guys on board and taking them out for dinner the first night they get here. And they're welcoming them at the airport and picking them up and having them in their houses and, you know, sort of, making it easier on their parents as well, knowing they're coming to a really great place. And there's no doubt that that word spread back to other AFL clubs and part of the reason why players want to come up here and, and you know, you know play football for the Brisbane Lions. No doubt that's one of the aspects that drives them to do that. I know Hodgie said to me, it's the weather. <laughs> and the weather. He said his wife was here for five minutes and said, we're never going back. <laughs> yeah. You know, yeah. In this episode, but um, you're right. And I think that comes back to your what you said before as well about, you know, when the team's winning, the team's not getting changed. So, you know, if you can do your bit for the team, but if the team's 
working well off the park and everyone's loving being a part of the family of the Brisbane Lions, then you're going to perform yep. as well, you know? And yeah. so then why would people want to go anywhere else? And why would they want to go back home when you're being successful? Yeah, that's exactly right. I mean, you know, now I feel like we've created a culture where every player, everyone wants to come in and train. Everyone wants to come in and just hang around. You know, you're sitting at home, you bring up one person and all of a sudden you're playing a basketball game against them or, they're overswimming in the pool or you're going out for dinner, you're going for coffee. Like yeah, it's awesome. It's, it's what, yeah, it really is. It's, it's really been chalk and cheese from when I first came to the club to, to where it's at now. And yeah. there's no doubt that that has direct correlation to what actually happens out on the field because you trust your players and you care for them so much more that you don't want to let them down. So, yeah. Um, and I think know, there's a really strong template there. as well, you know, where you had a bunch of players who were 10 gamers playing football whereas now i look at it and think wow those over this course of your career you know you're at what 185 games now i think mate which is awesome um so next year hopefully the big 200 will come up um Mm -hmm. and but you know guys are putting 20 20 to 25 games on their careers each year yeah i I look at it as being okay well that takes a 25 game into a 50 game or a 50 game into a 75 game and then all of a sudden before you know it and dare I say this, but, you know, right now, over the next few years, I would think Brisbane's right in a pocket of a, the premiership window. Um, would yeah. you agree as a captain of the club? Yeah, <laughs> absolutely. <laughs> I agree. Um, you know, you're spot on. I mean, you look back at 17, 18, 2017, 2018, um, we had to play a lot of those guys yes. and we had to get games into them. So now, you know, we invested in Barry, McCluggage, Witherden, um, Harris, Eric, yep. Macca. Like we've invested in all these players and gave them the opportunity and, you know, they're getting up around game 50, 60, 100, you know, 120. Um, you know, so now when you do play a young kid, you know, you can you can let them just play and they can be, you want them to obviously stick by the team rules and everything like that, but they bring a flair and an energy that, you know, you don't want to take off them at the same time. So when you're carrying one of those players in your team that, you know, can certainly change your game. Like young perfect. Coleman, I think. Is, like is, Kitty, yeah, Kitty Coleman. Yeah. Like we don't want to change the way he plays and, you know, I can't believe he even hand passed when he was two metres out and, and stuffed the goal up in one of the games. I, don't, I can't remember the game. I know, but... I was off the couch. I was like, yes, this is it, buddy. Yeah. First AFL goal. I oh, mean, uh. you know, so I think that just shows the the culture and the, um, you know, the standards that we've set around the place. But you can certainly carry those guys that may yes. have that tendency um, when there's only one and you've got you know, guys around them that can educate them straight away. Where, you know, early few, few years with Fags, you know, we had 10 guys, 15 guys, you know, that, geez, yeah. it, was, it, was, it was tough going and it, it, really, took, it really took, you know, um, some older players and the coaching and, and lots of teaching of the game plan. And obviously, Hodgie helped so much with it to really nail into our players that, you know, we're playing in a team and, you know, if you, if you can help the team, the team's going to help you. And, you know, and that's really, you know, ingrained in our minds now, which is great and, allows us to be flexible with, you know, debutants and we can bring in, you know, players because we know we've got that really solid core that knows what it takes to actually win a game and, and help the team win. Yeah, and that, I guess that selfless sacrifice of, you know, the one percenters. You know, yeah, you know, yeah, definitely. Yeah, I mean, 
I mean, me personally, I'm more than happy to give my own game up. You know, if it makes sure Lockie gets disposals and we're going to win, you know, like I'm, yeah. I'm happy to do that. So, um, and I, I know think that it was a bit it, like the game he played where he had zero touches in the first quarter, um, yeah. right at the back end of the year, but then yeah. ended up with about thirty odd. You know, and yeah, that's right. Far out. I think you might have even said afterwards. Sometimes the ball just doesn't go where you are. You know, yeah. as much as you try to find it, it just yep. don't, it just doesn't come your way. Yeah. So then, I mean, the natural mindset is you just got to switch over to how can I help the team without getting the ball? And you've only got the ball. You know, Lockie might have had it on average a lot more than everyone else this year. I reckon he probably would have had it about five minutes throughout a game, but for the rest of the hundred minutes, it's incredible, isn't it? Like, what are you doing? So, yeah. Um, yeah, this yeah, it's just not about uh, mark kicks and hand passes, and you know our team's slowly realising that, and you know we're developing, and maturing, you know hopefully into a really good side, which is you know which was our goal when when Fakes first came to the club. We want to be a really good side. What about your acquisition of Mr. Danaher? Yeah. What's the uh, what's the thoughts around the club with him coming in, and has he started doing a bit of the preseason stuff yet alongside the boys? Yeah, so he stayed on after Essendon finished okay. and he um, travelled a little bit around Queensland with his partner and um, he started running with us the other day as well. So uh, the boys have made him welcome. We had a barbecue yesterday with him. A few of the older boys yeah, nice. you know, got him and his partner around. Uh, had a barbecue. Wonderful guy. Really down to earth. Um, I just feel like he's going to fit into our club so, so well. Um, always got a smile on his face. Uh, yeah, really That's looking awesome. forward to what he can do. Yeah, I mean, once again, intimidating. I mean, you, you're coming into a club that's, you know, been going okay the past two years. And, yeah. you know, he comes in big recruit, but, you know, it's almost like he's just left his ego at the door. If he had one, I'm not sure if he did. It certainly doesn't look like it. Yeah, wow. but He's left at the door, come in, you know, just got to work with the boys. You know, he's been, he's been doing the same program as the guys running uh, gym. He was in there today with us, like, um, it almost feels like he's been there for a number of years. So, That's awesome. uh, you know, really excited. I'm confident our team will get his body right. And, you know, I think he'll work really well down there with Eric and, and Macca and Oscar and, you know, the rest of our forward line. Hopefully, um, you know, they can be really influential next year. What about your pre-season? You just touched on it there and we'll, we'll wrap up pretty soon. But what about your pre-season as far as, you know, with the year that you've had? Is it different this year? than other years with a slightly maybe, you know, different finishing time of the season? Yeah, well, we normally get three weeks of just complete nothing. This year, it's back to two. Um, and we just slowly built after two weeks after the season finished. So just a couple of light runs until, yeah. um, you know, around about December, we'll start ramping up a little bit harder and, you know, gym will stay the same. Um, but yeah, then we're back January 6th. You know, we'll get a break over Christmas. Um, I'm not sure if any AFL clubs are coming back before Christmas. I think a few of them will for their younger kids. But, um, you know, we'll come back January 6th and get into I think we've got a 10-week pre-season. It's normally 20. Yeah, wow. 20, 17, 18, roughly around that. It's back to 10 this year. Um, so that's going to throw its challenges up to every team, I would have thought. Yeah. You know, probably less You know, teams are going to want to get into match practice as soon as possible. You know, we probably don't normally play games until week. 14, 15 of pre-season. Maybe week 13, we probably go a little bit earlier. We'll try to. Um, so you're going to see guys, yeah, ripping into games, which obviously is then susceptible to injuries because, you know, the medical teams and the staff like to really pinpoint everything out and make sure it's, 
um, everyone's bodies are up to scratch to able to start that sort of stuff. So it's going to be really interesting again. I'm, I'm, I don't know what the fixture looks like. I don't know um, how long the quarters are going to be or anything like that. But, um, you know, we can only really control what we can control at the moment. That's sure. making sure we get a good mental break is obviously a really difficult year, difficult year for everyone, partners, families included. Like, it's, uh, you know, they had to live by the same rules as us. So... Um, just as difficult for them and you know it's important now that we really relax and you know start knuckling down into um, our programs getting them back and coming back in the best possible shape to you know have a really good year yeah awesome now i did say before i would get back to a special on our tour tees for my listeners so all you have to do listeners out there is go to the website www.australiangolfsupplies.com.au and click on the tour tee tab from there you'll receive a 10 percent off any order you place and when you purchase four or more packs you will also get free postage so just enter the coupon code thy in capitals the number 10 for the hard yards 10 percent, and you'll get your discount what a great idea heading into christmas mate don't forget there'll be some coming your way dane just for being a guest on the show mate i'll be sending some your way how is your golf out of, out of curiosity i know you love it yeah look i went to the range on friday changed up a couple of things had a really good round at brookwater so um Actually heading out to Hamilton Island this week, so going to play up there. So that'll Have certainly you played there before? Me. Yeah, we played there last year actually, and it's a test. Uh, wasn't my greatest day, but uh, I feel like I've tweaked the right things um, to get me game back on track. And uh, I think I'm sitting off about seven point one at the moment. So okay. hopefully by the time we get back um, into footy, I can get that back down to back down to six. I think I've had it as low as six point two or three. So. Okay. Um, my good's the, good. Is the, bad, famous, bad. is the very famous white jacket up for grabs in this Hamilton uh, Island? Well, it should be. I think we've got enough contestants. I think um, I think you need eight for a jacket, and I think we've certainly okay. scraped into eight. But um, you know, who's currently few... holding the jacket for the Lions oh. at the moment? Is it Harris Andrews? It is. Yeah, it is Harris. Yeah. I mean, he's got it. So I mean, I can't see why it can't happen. Yeah. Um, I think Daniel Rich would be disappointed. He hasn't missed a jacket, so he's not coming. So, I mean, yeah, don't know. Don't know. I'll certainly throw it up in the committee. Well, maybe he's going to throw a spanner in the works and say, no, you can't play for it without me there, boys. Yeah, I need to get my hands on it. I mean, I've, I've finished second four times. So, yeah, it's uh, starting to yeah, become a bit of an issue getting over the line. But I keep getting handicapped out of it, so. Um, no chance. Harris played off 28 and won it. And I've lost about two <laughs> shots or something. So I was going to say, when I met Harris out at Nudgy the other week, he, he had a relatively high handicap and a fairly loose <laughs> golf swing, I have to say. Oh, <laughs> oh it's certainly... Uh, you can't have a bad hole when you're playing for the jacket, otherwise it'll, it'll buy you because someone off 30, like Harris, will have a somehow fluke a birdie and get six points and she's all over. So, Mate, do you ever, yeah. do you ever think about... Um, the parallels between your sport and our and my sport in golf. Do you ever think about what is it that's similar between the two? Because I certainly think about it all the time. Um, and if so, what what do you think is what do you think of the similarities between AFL and, and golf? <laughs> well, the first one it's probably a touchy subject for the Brisbane Lions faithful out there, but when it comes to goal kicking and routine. Yeah. Yeah. It's very important. Um, and I find when I'm in a great routine of golf, everything's going perfect. And I feel like when I'm in a good kicking routine of football, everything's going perfect. But as soon as something's, you know, 
you feel as though you've had a bad kick or you've had a bad shot, you start wondering whether or not that's the right way to go about it. So mm. then you start, you know, you might just change up a grip or um, you know, it might grip down the shaft. You might, you know, how am I going to fix this slice? How am I going to? And it's the same with kicking for goal. Oh, do I need to drop my ball lower? Have I, did I not keep my head over it? Am I leaning backwards? So automatically there's a process of, you know, yeah. a number of things going through your head when, you know, you might've just, you, you just hit a bad shot. Yeah. So, and yeah. you've just kicked the, you know, yeah. you've just, you've got your, you've got one thing wrong. Like that's probably all it is, but automatically you think, oh, wow, this next shot is so important. I need to get this right. And you think about it too much and then you go and yeah. you stuff that one up as well. So, you know, the mental side of it, I reckon is really important as well. Not getting, not letting, uh, you know, for us, it might be giving away a free kick, giving away a 50 meter penalty, you know, making a bad decision with a kick. Um, and then golf, it could be missing a part. How you can quickly move on from that uh, yeah. will certainly help you, you know, get back into the, the, the main mindset and your performance mindset. Um, so, yeah, I do. I do. And yeah, I, yeah. Uh, I think Sounds I do like think it. about it at times. Yeah, for sure. Quarter, I think the four quarter thing is an interesting one too. So for us playing four days, you know, yep. to try and win the Masters this week, someone's going to have to serve it up for the four rounds of 18 and there's your four quarters. And, and I think, you know, from that perspective, I think, you know, when you're having an off day on the course at the masters, you kind of need it to still be 72, 73. And when you have an off quarter, you know, if you think back to Geelong game this year, where you had an off quarter down there and they kicked nine on you, I think it was, or something like that. Yeah. Um, You need to be able to limit that damage you know, and, yeah. and have your off quarter only cost you one or two goals, you know, and, and you haven't been blown out of the water in one quarter when that game, you won three of the four quarters and lost the game. You yeah, know, so. oh, absolutely. I think it's, yeah, well, my, I think momentum's the most underrated stat ever taken in a game. And I don't know how you, uh, I don't know how you can measure it, but I reckon the players will be able to tell you how to measure it um, when they're in the moment because uh, it's so different to go off. You've got great birdie looks. You've yep. got to make it. You've got to make them, um, and it's no different for us. You know, we can dominate, and we have dominated opponents yeah. for numerous quarters and still lost the game, but feel like we've been the better, the better team. And um, you know, statistics probably show we're the better team. But if you don't kick straight, don't take your opportunities, then you're not yeah. going to win. And you know, golf would be no different to that. You know, you can hit the best iron shots, but if your putter's not working and you miss those, you know, three footers or whatever it may be. Uh, you know, it'll come back to bite you. I think it's fascinating with the goal kicking and you you talk about routine. I've often watched throughout the season this year and thought, oh man, I'd love to get down to training and talk to these guys about routines and, you know, from a golf coaching perspective and, and understand, help them understand that, you know, when you're kicking a goal and when you're at your best, that's when you want to do your analyzing, you know, what am I doing well to kick good drop punts here, right? Yeah. Not when you kick a bad one thinking, what did I do wrong there? You know, rather yeah. than what am I doing right and analyzing what you're doing right. Because, you know, when Adam Scott pulls a five iron out of his bag to hit into 15 at Augusta this week and they've decided that's the club and the shot, he goes into a rehearsal mode and he's not rehearsing what not to do. He's rehearsing what to do. You know? Yeah. And, and I think, yeah. man, I'd love to come down and, you know, I mean, that's just in my head. I'm thinking, oh, I love the Lions so much. I just want to go down there and, and talk to them about practicing or coming up with your key performance indicators that help you kick good drop punts, you know? Yeah. And, and that's I all think... you have to do, you know? Yeah. You go through the process. And if you kick a bad one, like you said, 
it's just something went wrong, but you don't have to recreate the wheel on the next kick, you know? No, that's right. Yeah. And I, I guess that's the challenge we faced, you know, throughout the year when like the Richmond game, we kicked four goals, 17. And, yeah. um, you know, the goals felt like a couple of matchsticks getting held up. <laughs> um, it's it like was the goal holds, the eye of the needle. It was interesting in because, I mean, the amount of goal kicking that we do, I reckon we do a lot more than any other team. We do so much goal kicking. It's a really, a real big KPI for us. We, yeah, we value it because we know it's how difficult they are to get. Um, you know, so we do so much and it amplified even more. I mean, we were doing hours on end of goal kicking, yeah. which, you know, in the end could have been detrimental because, you know, we might have just been... Yeah, what not to do, you know, yeah. as you sort of um, come up with it. But, uh, yeah, the, our fans and supporters um, certainly shouldn't have worried. We were doing a lot of, lot of work. Yeah, absolutely. And, you know, oh, there's no doubt. T- towards the end of the year, we were the most accurate team. So, you know, it clearly, it clearly paid off for us. But yeah. um, Oh, well, that's my little tip to give to the Lions. Yeah, mate, I might use know? that one. I might use yeah. that one on the course as well. Yeah, beauty, mate. Love it. Love it. Well, mate, um, thank you so much for coming on uh, tonight. I really appreciate it. I've got one more question for you, uh, yep. which I ask everybody who comes on the Hard Yards podcast. And it yep. is, if you could be any past or present sportsman for a day and live a day in their shoes, yep. who would it be for you? Oh, <laughs> I have so many. Oh, <laughs> Wow. Um, okay. Uh, wow. See, I love so much sport, so it's really ha- it's difficult for me to pick one because obviously LeBron James would be absolutely amazing. Roger Federer would be incredible. Messi, Ronaldo. Like, it's a tough question, isn't it? But you've only got oh, one, mate. You've just got to choose so one. Hard. But there's one bloke I didn't mention, and his name's Tiger. And that's who I would like to be for a day. Uh, yeah. I think just because I love golf so much and I'd love to be able to hit the ball like him and the way they are able to shape shots and hit different shots. And then, oh, you know, I know we discussed earlier about, um, you know, what it was like being a pro over in Japan and that and how difficult it could be. I just reckon these guys would do it a little bit differently. Yeah. <laughs> and it would be, it'd be absolutely amazing to experience, um, yeah, everything. Their world. That, yeah, yeah, their, world, yeah their world. Yeah, just for a day. I, reckon, I, I don't think I can do it all the time. I think the part you touched on there, which is a little bit different because there's been a bunch of people who'd love to live in and be Tiger. Um, Benny Eichen was saying he'd love to have been Tiger this time, well, not this time last year, but when Tiger won the Masters last year after you know, yeah. coming back and you know his comeback win at the Masters, he said, I would love to have been Tiger that day and live that yeah. final day. Whereas you talked about living through the actual talent of Tiger and being able to do what Tiger can do with the golf ball as well as the private jet and the, you know, five-star lifestyle. If there's one thing that um, being a professional athlete's taught me is that anybody at the top of their game is such a remarkable achievement. Like, it is, oh, it is so incredible to anyone who is, at a professional level, um, from Olympians to any single sport, I don't care if it's shooting, darts, like it is unbelievable the amount of hours and how difficult 
um, it is there. to actually get to the absolute pinnacle um, and to be, you know, classified as a champion in your sport. Oh, yeah. It's incredible, isn't it? You know, the it hours, is. the hours that it, go in and, you know, it it's is. not, nobody, nobody gets there. I've, I've often said this, nobody is elite at golf on day one. Everybody sucks. Yeah. Like yeah. everybody. Like yeah. Tiger wasn't elite. You've seen the videos of him when he was young, but not his very first swing. You know, yeah. like everyone sucks, you know, you yeah. don't know how to hold the club, you know, yeah. and it's just the, the hours, like you say, the hours to become an elite in your code is phenomenal. And, oh. you know, yeah, certainly you've lived through that as well, mate. Yeah. Yeah, definitely. I'm, I just, I just take my hat off to, you know, to everyone that's, you know, reached it's, it is absolutely wonderful. There is one person I didn't throw up there that I would actually, wouldn't mind me. And it's Lewis Hamilton. Oh yes. I reckon. I yeah. reckon He's he had a couple of a bit, nominations. I reckon he might have a bit of a life, oh Lewis. Um, <laughs> yes. Yeah. Correct. I reckon it's. Uh, yeah. I reckon He'd it would be bad to be able to sit in a. You know, I've often talked about how I think golf's one of these sports that you can compete off your seven handicap with Tiger if you, if you go out on the course, right? It's you and Tiger. Yep. He's playing off plus six. You're playing off seven. Off you go, Brisbane Golf Club, Brookwater, where you currently play, and, yeah. and you can go play and compete. But you can't, you can't sit in an F1 car and expect to compete with Lewis Hamilton from the same no. starting grid. You know, like it's, and and yeah. you probably may not come back. You know, <laughs> nah, <laughs> may correct. not finish the lap. <laughs> the G forces on me neck would be, yeah, <laughs> be neck would be on the road. I reckon back at the start, like it, you know, another sport where they are just so unbelievably talented um wow yeah i was i was lucky enough to spend uh a few laps in a v8 supercar um out at queensland raceway um as part of the queensland open one year which we were playing at brookwater and and they had a a a guy who was racing in the in the v8 ute series um and he was playing in the pro-am so the kind of segue was that i would teach him how to drive a golf ball and he'll yeah. teach me how to drive a, a V8 U, you know. So um, we went out there and we, I, jumped in the, I jumped in the driver's seat first. And he's in the passenger seat. We marked up and I'm flat to the floor. And he had all the, they had all these witches hats out for breaking markers for me. So he's, and he's telling me as we go, he says, when you see those witches hats, just jump on the brake, right? And so I was doing it and he goes, don't worry about how hard you jump on the brake, just jump on it, right? You can't. You won't lock it up, you know, anyway. So I'm doing it and I'm going as good as I can go. I reckon I was doing a pretty good job. Anyway, we finished. He goes, great job, Maddie. Let's switch seats. I'll take you for a few laps. So I jump in this passenger seat. We get out there and we get to the braking marker. There's no brakes going on, right? So he's still flat on the gas and we zoom past this braking marker. And I'm thinking, Holy moly, put the brakes on, put the brakes on, you missed the braking marker. And then he would just be so much later and so much harder on the, you know, jumping on it. And yeah. it just made me think, oh my gosh, these guys are unbelievable behind the yeah. wheel, you know, and knowing their cars, knowing their vehicle, knowing how hard to put their foot through the floor with the brakes and trusting them. Um, mm. So the guys driving F1 cars are just, man, oh, scary. The, the trust, the trust is ridiculous. It has like, to be, doesn't it? Oh, it's got to be. It is, yeah. I mean, you're putting so much 
you're putting your life, your life in the hands of the yeah. mechanics to put that car together all in one piece. And, it's not yeah. for me, mate. Yeah. <laughs> nah, 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 nah. And I grew up as a as a son of a rally car driver, so I've spent many times out in the bush in rally cars as a kid growing up. But um, <sighs> no, I think I'll stick to golf. It's a bit safer, and maybe you stick to AFL, where you might get hurt a bit more than me. But um, yeah, at least I, at least I know what I'm your, doing. I think you're probably not putting your life on the line when you go play AFL. Still, no, those guys are not like them. No, that's that's no, super dangerous. No. Absolutely not. Well, thanks again to our new show sponsor, Tour Tees. Amazing tees. The little small nodules on the top of the tee create less friction, and it's a virtually unbreakable tee for driver in the fairway woods. And the barbed point on the end of the tee presents, prevents the tee from flying away like some of your rubber tees and big giant tees on the market. I've been using these samples, uh, a few samples of these tees over the past few weeks, and I will never go back to a normal tea ever again. They are that good. And each of my guests coming on the show from now on will be receiving some of them too. So, Dane, you've got a few of the tour teas coming your way. And a massive thanks for your time tonight, mate. I really appreciate it. Have a great trip to Hamilton Island. I hope you get the jacket if that gets played for up there. And, uh, and mate, also all the best for the festive season and the off-season, mate, and your training. Can't wait to catch up for a game of golf and I'll certainly be cheering on the Mighty Lions in 2021, mate. Thanks so much for joining me on the Hard Yards. Thanks for having me, Matty. Really appreciate it, mate. Cheers.